Welcome to another amazing episode of Limitless, a podcast with Westside that I think is game-changing because we choose very interesting guests. Today we have a 71-year-old rock star giving me goals and will give all of you goals, I promise you that. She is a game-changer in the care space for cancer, a word that is a bit heavy and I know we try to avoid it, but Viji Venkatesh will tell you how she has really made that space. I would feel like you made it comfortable for many and uh, you've done so much great work. And Viji, thank you so much for being here and giving us your time. Thank you for having me. You know, I'm trying to give my best introduction for you, but I think that somewhere we're really excited because all the things I've read about you can't sum up the fact that when I met you just now, your energy is infectious you have this aura about you and you exude this confidence at 71. And may I please also add, I forgot to add this. She's a budding starlet, people. I like the starlet <laughs> bit because she's done her first film at 71. That I think is insane. I think that's so cool. You know, so please, first of all, tell us how did you get into acting? And I'm going to get straight into that because I think that for me, one of the most unique things I heard about you. Samira, for me, it is like a dream I haven't even dreamt that came true. <laughs> well, when the offer came to me, I was like before the pandemic, so I was not even 70. But even then, 68 is no age when someone comes to you and says, OK, will you act in my film? So the casting director, she saw a photograph of mine on Instagram. And apparently that was the brief given by the director. She sent a message on Instagram. And if you don't follow that person, you don't see those messages. So I almost didn't see that message. So my acting career almost never happened but I did because I always check those messages some of my patients get in touch with me so I make it a point to check all messages wherever at any point so I gave her my number Gayatri Smita is her name and she called and I told her that's really nice but I don't speak Malayalam it's a Malayalam film the film is called Pachum Adbuda Vilakkum Pachu and the Magic Lamp so I said I don't speak Malayalam so well it is it's one of my mother tongues but we speak more Tamil Tamil is also bad. Malayalam is also bad. And then I told her I have a full-time job. And she called again and again and that was my reply. And then she says, uh, so ma'am, the director is coming to Bombay. It's a Sunday and he speaks English. So why don't you meet with him? And I thought that was a really neat line. And I said, okay, I will. And I met the director, Akhil Satyan, very young boy. We met in a restaurant in Bandra for lunch. And I walked into the restaurant and he was there and... He was just had this big beaming smile and don't tell him I said so. But I think I fell in love with him. Oh my God. <laughs> Viji, if your husband's listening to this podcast, I think you're in trouble, okay? <laughs> but see, this is what I love. I love the fact that, you know, you remind me so much of my mother-in-law, Manjri. Uh, we also call her Sassy Sasu. She is a firebrand just like you. And I always say this to her. I'm like, it's time you do a movie. And she's like, I'm 68. And I'm like, <laughs> now I'm going to go back and say, Viji, 71. I mean, you it know. It was you... amazing. You know, people tell me that age is only a number. Yes. There I don't agree. I think age is age. You know, your body is aging and you change as you grow older. But I think there is no tomorrow. So I think a lot of us waste our time saying tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Tomorrow just doesn't come. It becomes today. So live your today well is what I feel. Right, and when right. Akhil yeah, and you're living it. told me the story <laughs> of the film and then he told me Vinit Radhakrishnan and Fahad Fasil will be my co-stars. 
Let's look at where do I sign, guy? Yeah, and and from what I've heard, you know, it's come out fantastically. It's a brilliant film. It is, and I'm so happy for you because, as I said, you are goals, and I say this because if you see the age of social media, so many people watching are always, I think, worried about aging. When I have, you know, my gang and my tribe and they listen to me, I always say, I'm 44. My God, my life has just begun. You know, in fact, as you age, you know what you don't want. Absolutely. It is the most powerful space to be in. And from what I see in terms of where you are today, you look, you're most confident. I have to say you dress and you look very, very elegant. I read that uh, you are always dressed very, very properly. Has that always been there from childhood? My father and mother, we call them Babji and Manji. We are a Tamilian family that grew up in Delhi. And my father, Babji, would always say that you have to look very well groomed. And that shows a sign of respect for the people you're with. And my mom, Chinalambati saris, okay, I think she had a handful of Kanjivaram saris. She was always dressed in her Chinalambati saris. But people would look at her and say, Aap service karte ho kya? Mm. There's this impression, attitude that a working woman is well dressed. And I became a working woman very very late in my life but I think my mom and dad instilled that you know that you have to be well groomed no well, matter you what you look fantastic you have to be well groomed hair in yes. place my father would come back from office we'd go to school we'd come back and come what may at 5 o'clock in the evening we had to wash our face and change for the evening how lovely come from a very modest middle class background but my mother made sure that we were well dressed well it's showing because you're looking fabulous and I'm now going to step back I've started with Viji here today, who's this powerhouse that I've met. But we want to know the story behind the powerhouse. And from what I've read, you actually started your career much later as a working woman. So I'm going to even backtrack earlier than that. And from what I see is that the whole inspiration to be in the cancer care space comes from the fact that you had to care for your mother-in-law who had cancer and your grandmother. Could you tell us more about that time and how that sort of carved your way till here? I have to be very honest and say that I took up this job in cancer care because it's a very difficult time for us. We had come back from Venezuela. We had lost everything there. And you know, I needed a job. I needed to be there with my husband and make sure that we you know, could provide a good home to our two sons. And uh, when I was looking for a job, I couldn't find a job. I had a degree in English literature, which is of no use. I said, OK, let me go and teach. And they said, no, we need a BA degree. I said, OK, I'll get myself a degree. They said, you need teaching experience. It was crazy. Somebody told me that this, uh, this person who runs a NGO for cancer, why don't you go and talk to him and meet him? And so he gave me a job. He looked at me, the wonderful gentleman called Mr. Y.K. Sapro. I think a lot of what I am, I owe to Sapro Sap. So I joined that organization. Yes, I did care for my mother-in-law. I did help my mother look after my grandmother. And I guess it was after I got into cancer care that I remembered what it was like looking after. Like I used to accompany my grandmother for her radiation sessions. We lived in Kidwainagar in Delhi, which is right next to Delhi Heart now. She was being treated to the All India Institute of Medical Sciences. You know, I used to walk her down to the hospital and she used to walk with me. My mother would put some Mosambi juice or something in a flask and then Amaji would have her radiation. And this was such a long time ago. This was like 56, 57 years ago. I remember so vividly. And I remember how stoic my grandmother was. She had esophageal cancer. Mm. And then 
I was newly married when my mother-in-law was diagnosed with lung cancer. I looked after her because I was the daughter-in-law of the house. I was physically fit. I took care of her. I didn't know anything about cancer at that time. Today, when I know everything there is to be known about cancer, I don't know if I will be as good a caregiver as I was at that time. But I know now when I look back, I understand so many little nuances which helps me when I take care of the patients I work with now. That's beautiful because you took an experience and you turned it into something which uh, is fruitful for others. It's helping others. And you have Chai for Cancer which, from what I've been told, is a beautiful community space that you've created. I love what I read about it, but please, can you tell us, you know, I mean, I just love the concept. Uh, could you just tell us what the concept is? Chai is something that is so normal, ordinary, warmth, happiness, companionship. You can have chai with anybody, without anybody, any time of the day, all day. Chai is something that is non-intimidating. Chai is just love, comfort, happiness, joy. I wanted to bring cancer into that arena because cancer is none of the things that I've said just now. Cancer is fear, cancer is isolation, cancer is dread, cancer is suffering. And cancer people don't is, want to talk about it. Cancer is full of stigma. Exactly. A lot of misconceptions. Like you said, nobody wants to talk about cancer. So I told myself, let's bring cancer into the space of chai. And over a cup of chai, let's encourage people to come, get together. I call it an adda. A chai for cancer, Adda. Have chai, have samosa, yes. have jalebi, <laughs> have matri, have biryani. I mean, my chai is like the soup stone, right? Mm. You know the story of the soup stone? It is not just the soup stone. It is a little bit of cilantro. It is a little bit of, you know, you have something left over from yesterday, some potato peel, some this, some that. And then the soup was made. Mm. Everybody thought it was just the soup stone. So with the bahana of chai, bring people together, change the narrative of cancer. And we work with patients at the Max Foundation, with thousands of patients who have been diagnosed with a rare cancer and they are on lifelong treatment. The treatment is given to them at no cost through our partnership with the pharma company. But to come and access that treatment, patients don't have money. They don't have the resources. I ask a patient who's fallen off my radar, Ram Babu, he says, Bus fare, train fare, I'm a daily wage earner, I have to leave my family behind. There's this other lady who's supposed to take six tablets a day and she takes only two because she says, ah, that way I don't have to come to Bombay, I can just come once in nine months. Or this other young woman who says that my husband is the younger son, mere jet or mere sasur kamate hain. And I don't want to, you know, like ask them for money. My mother-in-law says, bilkul hatti katti dikti ho, no need for you to keep going to Bombay. And... The patient's dignity, she actually told me, I don't want money. She says, donate a sewing machine to me. Sari me fall beating karke, I'll buy my tickets. So we are looking at patients who, cancer has kind of redefined them. Mm. None of our patients blame cancer. On the other hand, they say that their cancer has made them look at life differently. They live in hope. They want dignity. And I think Chai for Cancer is just that we raise funds, we ask people to donate one cup of chai, you decide what that cup of chai is worth. It can make a difference in the life of one patient. Whatever you want, you donate for that one cup of chai, which will take care of those 
seemingly very insignificant, very small, but they are unmet needs of the patient. Like one patient told me, the doctor told him to have his daily dose with a glass of milk. He says, Amma ji, dood karidne ka paisa hota. Main apni bachchi ko pilata, main nahi pita. 18 years later, he is doing very well. He brought sweets the other day to office. That little girl is getting married. Oh, wow. That's so sweet. Just a little suggestion here. Your uh, stories, they just really transport me. You should actually write a Chai for Cancer book of stories. I think it would be so inspirational. I will. And I think, you, you know, you describe it so beautifully. I think caregivers also have hard times with mental health. Because it can really consume you. And I'm sure you get involved a lot with patients and it could be hard at many points. So do you struggle with that? I think the most difficult emotion is guilt. It's like, thank God I don't have cancer. Mm. You become such an inherent part of the patient's experience that you want to be really there for the patient by feeling and experiencing exactly what the patient is. But then you realize that that's not going to help the patient. You don't have cancer, therefore you're the best caregiver for that cancer patient. And then, like I said, the patients have never, ever displayed anger. Yes, there is denial first, there is anger, you know, you question why me, there's depression, but they overcome it. I think the only difficult emotion patients have to deal with is also guilt. Mm. So it's two things. It's the caregiver, it's the patient. And it's because you are giving sorrow to somebody else. Your trouble, your trauma, your suffering does not bother you. It's because you are sick and because you're sick, someone you love is being troubled. That is what takes a great toll. Mm. And there is joy in that giving. I do what I do because I get so much more than what I give. And it's not just me, Samira, it's my whole team. Mm. I work with this wonderful team of people. We just embrace our patients. We embrace their joys, their difficulties. At the same time, they give us so much. My patients call me Amma. It's just something incredible. It's like a family. But you know, going back to family, you said you went to Venezuela. And I think you said that this was in the early part of your marriage. Yes. That's very interesting because before all this came about, you were a homemaker. Before the career came, before Chai for Cancer came, before the acting career came. And if you go back there and you had two little boys at that time, you said something that really resonated with me, which was you went through a really hard space because you were in a foreign country. Things were going not right financially. And then marriage can really at that time take, you know, that step back because we're a very judgmental society. Aren't we? <laughs> I can tell you that. You had to step up, as you said, and you had to go out there and really, you know, as you said, pull magic out of nowhere. And that's where resilience comes in. That's where strength comes in. And that's where you brave it out. And you did that. And, you know, your husband had to take a step back. How did you deal with that? I'm sure it was hard because, you know, there are all these spaces within families of what it should be. Success and a healthy marriage is depending on so many outside factors. And I feel they're all the wrong factors. And you had to break it all because you had to go back to the drawing board and you had to go out there and work. How did your husband take that and how did you all overcome this as a partnership? What happens is when you have to do something, you look at nothing else. You just go ahead and you do it. Because there is no option, right? There is no luxury mm. of option or of having time to think about it. My husband and I, we begin our 50th year together now. 
you know, in a couple of months. Congratulations. But I must tell you that at least twice a week I can kill that man with my bare hands, okay? <laughs> okay, that's an honest confession. Twice a week, <laughs> at least. Ours was an arranged marriage. We grew up in that era. I knew I was going to get married to somebody my parents would choose for me. I'd seen my sister getting married, our uh, older cousins, younger aunts and uncles. And believe me, there's an incredible romance in an arranged marriage. And it was wonderful for us. I didn't know this guy from the proverbial Adam. We met one day and then four weeks later we were married. We said yes because there was no reason to say no. We grew up in the era of uh, the film Sangam. Have you seen Sangam? No, I haven't, but I've heard of it. It remains <laughs> to me one of the best films ever. Films reflect society. Film is a mirror of society. In Sangam, this beautiful girl, she falls in love and she's like, she's just so delighted she's in love with this guy but she marries somebody else and after marriage she realizes that hello yeah that was love but this is reality mm. and it's just so beautifully done and I think that's what all of us who grew up in the 60s we all wanted to be air hostesses then we all wanted to be doctors then we wanted to be radio announcers we wanted to be tv news readers simple goals we all had okay to go back to Venezuela, my husband was working in an oil company. We were there for five glorious years. Our children grew up there. It was wonderful. I was lady of the manor. And then everything collapsed because the Bolivar crashed and then whatever my husband earned was lost. But he was determined not to come back home empty-handed. He said, I'm going to do my MBA. So we went to the US. No money. Whatever money we had put into that. He was a hardcore smoker. He said, I'm not going to spend dollars on cigarettes. I said, I won't spend money on makeup. <laughs> and we'll do this, okay? He got an assistantship. He never went back to smoking. As you can see, I went right back to makeup. But <laughs> at that point in time, I sold makeup. You see, I had a social security card that said not valid for employment. Uh. I used to babysit. I mean, I used to send my kids to school and I would go and babysit. And then Avon Cosmetics. You've heard of Avon yes, Cosmetics? Yes, yes. Here's this brown woman selling Avon Cosmetics door to door to white women. That, I think, was the most difficult thing I've ever done in my life. I tell you, to be a salesperson is... We should never, ever be rude to anybody who comes knocking on our door or today calling us and, you know, they're trying to make their livelihood. I learned so much. It was the most difficult thing I've ever done. Not even all those Malayalam dialogues with <laughs> Fahad Fasil watching me. No. <laughs> but, you know, I think, yeah, it was tough. Then there was a time again, much later in our lives, when my husband lost his job. And, you know, men like my husband, they are like incredible creatures, actually. There was... Never this atmosphere in the house saying that this is what I do and that is what you have to do. This is what we have to do. Fantastic. I mean, it's partnership. It's teamwork. You it's know? a lot of and hard it's really, work. It's hard work. And I say this because, you know, when I was reading about you and it's amazing how honest you are. You know, I've said this, I'm on social media and I try to be as honest as I can get because there are so many people listening. It's such a powerful medium. And if you're not telling them the truth, you are selling a lie. Absolutely. And if they're buying into that lie, then they're feeling really bad about what's going on. And what's yeah. going on behind those doors is a completely different situation for most people. And I think that it's amazing that you're open about it because there are so many marriages that, as I said, are judged. Couples have different power struggles at different points and they break yeah. because I guess they just, you know, give in to the fact that the formula is set 
and a certain way has to be followed for it to be successful. And I, and I say break that. There are many times where your partner is going to shine more than you or earn more than you and then the whole balance might change. But the beauty is in that balance and that beauty is in not having the ego and knowing that there are certain things you do better and there are certain things that he does better. And then you sort of make that work for you. And that's what you've done, which I mean, and, and I love the fact that you're talking about it because in India, people are so careful to make sure that we portray such perfect, <laughs> perfect family. You know, my husband's a provider. I just, mm. you know, water around. No, you're empowering the woman. You're empowering the man by being honest about it. Trust and faith. And the given is different now. So I will not say that, oh my God, in my time, we were so good, we stayed married. And you know, no, the given is different now. And today, marriage sometimes can also be very irrelevant. And I think that's fine. And phases. Yeah. I also feel that rather be happy than unhappy. Yes. And you should have what it takes. Again, go back to honesty, right? Mm -hmm. But it's a lot of hard work. My husband is... Uh, even if I imply that, oh, Venki doesn't mind my doing this. Or he says, that sounds terrible. Who am I to mind what you do? Or Lovely. Do? Oh, well put. I love it. I love it because I'm telling you this needs to change. And you're just saying it as it is. Yeah. One thing I have to say, I heard that your son was in a heavy metal band as a lead singer. Lead I, growler. I love it. That's so unique. Somebody said, oh, you know, Vijay's son actually was in a heavy metal band. And I was just thinking in my head, my God, if Hans was in the heavy metal band. I mean, of course, my mother-in-law would be the proudest because she loves heavy metal, by the way. And that's why you remind so me so I? much of her. <laughs> and what's really interesting is that, you know, you have such a unique, you know, way of expressing things and you've also told me that you have tattoos yes i do you know my sons don't have oh my one god up on them. both my sons are heavy metal freaks okay. one professes heavy metal one <laughs> performed till a few years ago when i came and said that i mean this band bhayanak mouth and bhayanak mouth is from the ramsey brothers and i'm like ah, bhayanak, bhayanak mouth bhayanak mouth wow wonderful oh my, my australian god. friend once said is that bionic mouth <laughs> i said no that's bhayanak <laughs> mouth so <laughs> see the boys you know like they love the kind of music we listen to like jazz and blues so I think whether it is Kishore Kumar or Jethro Tull whether it is Kael or Bob Dylan <laughs> yeah. you know music is music yes. art is art we were very proud parents when we went and watched uh, Bhayanak Mouth perform for the first time it was a hard rock cafe I was so proud and it's the music you don't understand but I understood the angst I understood the power and that band had amazing energy and you know they cared for the kids who were listening to them mm. my son would jump onto the mosh pit and make sure that nobody was physically hurt that day I told Venki I said hey we've brought up good kids you know I mean like as I was about hurt. to say that's the upbringing yeah. but that being said I can tell you that I'm sure your sons are amazingly proud of you Viji. I hope so they better be no they are because <laughs> I can see you as it is and I'm like wow you know I hope Hans is going to look up to me like oh. that because your journey has been incredible I think that you have evolved you have learned as from what I see and you have constantly rebuilt yourself redefined which I think is a very interesting thing to do and it's a very empowering thing to do is constantly redefine at every phase we went through a lot of stuff I had issues with my parents-in-law my mother-in-law was the most beautiful inside out and she died so early it happens in all families and then you keep chastising yourself you keep you're riddled with guilt see when I was 17 I knew who I am this is me you know 
wicked, garrulous, wanting to enjoy Fearless. life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But layers. I'm Ramakrishna, his daughter. Then I become Krishna Swami, his daughter-in-law. Then I'm like Venkatesha, his wife. Then I'm mother. And then one by one, the layers peel off, Samira. When I became a mother, the daughter layer peeled off. Mm. Very soon, the other layers peeled off. The mother layer took the longest. Mm. When you're no longer responsible for the nourishment of your children, in all manner of speaking, and that layer comes off, then you're free. Seriously, I cut off my hip length hair when I was 45 years old. It was like such a big weight off my shoulders. And I learned that one power, keep it with yourself to make you happy. More importantly, to make you unhappy. Don't give that to anybody. anybody. Not your friend, not your spouse, not your children, not anybody. That's yours to keep with you. Vijay, that is the most powerful thing I have heard on any of my podcasts till date. You have been the most (laughs) energetic, incredible guest that I've had. And I cannot thank you enough for being here. And I don't know whether you guys have just taken in all her energy because I have and I'm feeling completely like, you know, very buffed right now. So thank you, Vijay. Thank you for this. Thank Thank you. you for sharing, opening and being so lovely. This podcast is about being limitless, which is Viji Venkatesh, I think, for sure. Thank you, Viji. Thank Thank you. Thank you. Guys, we'll be back with another podcast of Limitless soon. So stay tuned.